News and features from around Australia and around the world. This is Travel Radio Australia. Here's your host and travel guide, Ren Zviers. And welcome to the program. We certainly hope you're going to enjoy everything uh, we have for you on the program today. Let's see what the lineup entails this month. Firstly, we have our own Jeff Harrison. He'll be chatting with Will Smith of Silverstone Auctions in the UK. And Jeff recorded this on a recent visit. And at the time, one of the items uh, on display and for sale at this particular auction house was the great and late Eric Morecambe's uh, car. Remember Eric Morecambe from um, Morecambe and Wise, a famous English comedy duo. Then we'll uh, take a grab from our friends at Travel Writers Radio in Melbourne. Graham Kenlow interviewing Brendan Bevan, who uh, has been to Arcaba Wild Bush Luxury Lodge in the Flinders Ranges in South Australia. Now we'll move on to the US with our North uh, Irish mate David Gordon from Travel Bites Radio chatting to uh, our other friends uh, in Santa Barbara at Around the World Radio and David recently uh, did, did a road trip of Florida in the US so uh, he'll be talking about some of the roadside attractions of that state in the US. And finishing off the program, our fourth segment is uh, back from Travel Riders Radio where Veronica Matheson chats with Andrew Caballaro uh, he's from Papua New Guinea Tourism and talking about some of the easements or easing of visa restrictions uh, for visitors to Papua New Guinea. So that's all coming up on Travel Radio Australia. Hope you enjoy the show. Here's Jeff Harrison. My great pleasure this week is to have as my guest Will Smith, the sales manager of Silverstone Auctions in Warwickshire in the UK and Will welcome to the program. Hi thanks very much for having me. We're standing in front of uh, Eric Morecambe's fabulous Jensen Interceptor vehicle and I can't believe it's the real thing. Yeah it was his car he bought it new Uh, it's got a few stories attached with it but we've restored it ourselves and it it looks beautiful in front of us today. What was it like when you got hold of it? It was in a fairly uh, sort of original condition but sort of had been neglected for probably 10-15 years so we decided to bring it back to life. And tell us a story. Where was it found and uh, how, did, how did that come about? Sure. It was bought by our boss, who was a huge, massive fan of Eric Morecambe's. And he found it through a local West Midlands contact that he'd had and knew of the car for many years, but um, it took time to, for him to actually buy it. Was it one of those stories where it was hanging around in a barn somewhere or just off the road and uh, I, I, something like that? I think a, a, wet, a sort of garage-type situation was where it was stored. It was looked after by an elderly chap who'd had it for many years and really couldn't really afford to maintain it as it was becoming uh, in need of restoration and recommissioning. Now what what was the process uh, once you got hold of it and I suppose you go do this with all your vehicles you take it back to bare metal and start again? Yeah we basically stripped the entire car of all of its components to a complete bare shell and rub that down until uh, we get to bare metal, primer it and paint it and that, that whole process took probably about a year and a half. Just for this vehicle? Absolutely, yeah. So it's a very long-term proposition to restore one of these cars. Well, such an iconic vehicle, and there's some great stories about it. Can you tell us a couple of those? Yeah, uh, Mr. Morecambe was driving it one day and suddenly felt a bit uh, strange, and it turned out he was having a heart attack. So he pulled over to the side of the road and explained to uh, a a passing stranger that he was having a heart attack and that he required uh, medical assistance. So the stranger jumped in the Jensen and took him to the hospital, uh, where Mr. Morecambe was treated uh, for his heart attack. (laughs) 
and it was quite funny because I believe the fellow was a Yorkshireman who who said he wouldn't his mates wouldn't believe him that it was actually you know Eric Markham. Yeah, well, he was a huge part of British institution almost in the in the seventies, eighties, and to that generation, you know, he's a very special guy. And this is a very special car. Tell us a bit about the car itself and the history of the Jensen background. Well, the Jensen Interceptor was actually a very advanced car for its day, and it employed four-wheel drive technology later in the FF version. And you know, really, it was seen as a quite a pioneering English hand-built, very expensive when it was brand new piece of British motoring, which uh, you know took some influences from America in, in the sense that it was a V8, it was a General Motors V8 that was in the front, combined with the British styling, and even you know, the bodywork is is absolutely beautiful to look at today. And what would the cost of this be, this Jensen Interceptor, in today's value? If you wanted to buy it, say, in, I suppose, in the late 60s or whatever, mm. when it was around, what would you have to fork out today for it? Today, it would be in the region of anywhere from £50,000 to £150,000, depending on the car, the condition, the provenance, etc. This car, obviously, you know, is towards the upper echelons of that price spectrum, but that's because it's of its history, it's unique, and it's been beautifully restored. And I suppose if this went to auction with you guys, you'd, it, the sky's the limit, really, isn't it? If someone really wanted it. Absolutely. All you need is, is two people who love Eric Morecambe, and the car could go for, for serious money. So at the moment, we're, we're just enjoying it. We like displaying it, and it's a lovely thing to have on our stand. And Will Smith, the sales manager at Silverstone Auctions in the UK, how can people find out more about your company? Basically, all they need to do is go to silverstoneauctions.com and they can see our upcoming auctions, who we are, what we do, and uh, get a flavour for you know, our company and how we approach things. Great. Will Smith, thank you very much for being part of the programme this week. Very welcome. Thank you. Now, you probably on the edge of the outback, I suppose, are you? Is that how you position it? Ah, gosh, I think that depends on who you speak to, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> a lot of folks sort of still deem us as city slickers because we've got such uh, such wonderful services and deliveries sort of right to the back door twice a week. But, um, yeah, oh, we're central Flinders Rangers, if you like, central yeah. to north. Um, so, yeah, I guess we're out back anyway. Yeah. So how far are you from Adelaide? Oh, you'd be looking at between a four-and-a-half and, and five-hour drive. Okay. Um, so, yeah, knocking on 500 k's. That's bush, mate. That's bush. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> Brendan, the reason we're speaking to you today is that um, the hills are alive and the valleys are alive out there. The water's certainly uh, done something in uh, in the area, particularly with Lake Eyre, which is uh, which has been flooding. I'm not sure how it's still going, but um, it's it's a rare occurrence up there. I think I looked uh, in the press today, and I think it was about seven years since this has happened. Yeah, I, th- I think the major difference, certainly with Lake Eyre, is that uh, not only has the lake seen water come in from further afield, as it ordinarily does when when it does fill up, but it's also had good local rain as well. So you, uh, you've got this little green tinge to the desert, which, uh, which for us looks like a, a manicured football pitch. That's, uh, that's the green we see, but uh, for someone who's not perhaps accustomed to it, they might hardly see the green. But it's, uh, it's certainly looking great. I mean, that's, that's a lot further north to the where we are here at Arkaba, but uh, we're, we're benefiting from similar conditions. We've had great rain. It's just starting to warm up now. Everything's trying to grow. Uh, there's wonderful wildflowers coming through. I think we're in for a cracker of a season. And I reckon there's probably a bit of wildlife up there, apart from what happens uh, around the bar. Well, yes. No, there's certainly a, a bit of that. The Hawker pub uh, turns it on quite nicely for us on occasion, but uh, God, no, the uh, the wildlife is, is spectacular. The bird life in particular. I mean, there's been uh, 
a pretty incredible uh, resurrection, if you like, environmentally since uh, since we started focusing on on the likes of feral animal control and uh, destocking sheep, etc. So wildlife populations are thriving, neighbouring properties and uh, you know national parks, etc., is doing great jobs with uh, reintroduction of of little critters that have been regionally extinct for for far too long. And uh, you know the the area's biodiversity has always been phenomenal. Uh, but it's it's just it's on the up. It's improving all the time, and it's uh, it's just probably the most rewarding thing in the world to be a part of it all and and, and witness the change right before your eyes. I, I bet it is. Now, just talk to me about your lodge there for a minute, because obviously you provide accommodation, etc., for people who who want to come and stay. Um, obviously, the word luxury is involved in the title, so we can expect a certain level of uh, service and amenity. Uh, talk to us. I know you're part of a group, so talk to us about that for a sec. Yeah, right. Uh, Graham, yeah, we're, we're effectively part of uh, the Wildbush Luxury Group, uh, and that, in essence, sees us having a property up in the Northern Territory, up on the, uh, the Mary River floodplain, but down here at Arkaba as well. Uh, part of the same group, as I said, um, Arkaba being a, a, a beautiful 160 square kilometres of land bordering onto the, uh, the, uh, the edge of the Flinders Ranges National Park, so ultimately forming a and a mighty big system, if you like. Um, and, yeah, we've really got the two different types of offering, one being the uh, the lodge, uh, which is very small, very boutique. Yes, it's a, it's a luxury experience, but it's, it's very much a, a different brand of luxury, which uh, which is kind of new, I think, to Australia in the sense that, the just as the title sort of implies, it's a wild bush luxury. Our focus is very much on the experience, what you're going to get outdoors. So the wildlife, the nature, the conservation efforts, uh, and of course all of that underpinned by superfood, all chef-prepared meals, uh, a wonderful South Australian selection of wines, beers, soft drinks, etc. Fantastic, comfortable, homely type of environment, which is the homestead. Uh, And all of this is fully inclusive. So you're you're coming, you're staying, you're eating fantastic food, you're drinking wonderful wines, but you're also out and about, fully guided, fully hosted, as I said, chef-prepared meals. So we we really do pride ourselves in how we look after folk, and uh, and, and we just want to make sure that we're showcasing the very best the region has to offer. Right. So um, people who come to stay, how long do they tend uh, to stay with you? can be pretty varied. What we've got is a, a minimum two-night stay with us, but we're finding that's averaging out to, uh, to pretty much three nights. Um, and three nights gives you a really good opportunity to get a snapshot both of the, the immediate area, but also the greater surrounds and, and be able to take in a couple of tours into national parks and some of the spectacular gorges that, uh, that South Australia has to offer. So, uh, yeah, it averages out at about three nights. But, gosh, we've had folks stay for eight or nine nights, and uh, there are certainly many that just come and go and stay for the two-night stay uh, with, with an onward itinerary in mind as well. Mm. So do you have any particular demographic? Are, are they the grey nomads who are, who are staying with you, or what, what's your general um, uh, guest profile? Uh, do, do you know, it's, it's evolving all the time, Graham. Actually, it's interesting. Uh, it's, it's, it's a real mixed bag, so it's, it's, it's also pretty seasonal. So during the cooler more comfortable months, we'll see a, a dominant sort of domestic market. We're, we're sort of full to the brim with, with local Aussies. Yep. Uh, getting into the warmer time of year when the, when the sun well and truly comes out and so do our dear friends the flies, then I think us Aussies sort of stick at home and, 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 and wait for the cooler conditions uh, and the inbounders then tend to take, take advantage yep. of the warm southern hemisphere weather. So inbound certainly from, from uh, the northern hemisphere. Um, and that's, that's, again, that's a mixed bag. It's... Um, 
anywhere between, I'd say, 35 to 65 is about the average demographic looking at. And uh, as I say, that, where that's, are, that's evolving all the time. And where are they from, basically? Oh, look, all around Australia from a domestic perspective, um, we're seeing folks come in from everywhere, from WA, from Brisbane, from you name it. They're coming yeah. in uh, an ever-increasing uh, domestic market, coming in even more locally from Adelaide. And the internationals? Um, the internationals, look, that's... Gosh, I keep saying it, but it's, uh, it's, it's, it is evolving as we, as we go. But the most that we're seeing coming in is certainly from uh, North America and throughout Europe and the UK. Right, and the Chinese market hasn't quite worked, worked out that uh, this is a good place to come yet? Do you know, we haven't seen any real advantages or, or, or any real change as, as of yet. Not to right. say it won't happen, but I think uh, as that market ripens, if you like, and reaches maturity, I think the coastal regions of Australia are going to benefit from that before, mm. uh, before folks start venturing inland. It's a, a jolly big chunk of rock we're sitting on here, and I think that there's, uh, there's plenty to see when they hit the airports and the, and the coastal regions before that particular market anyway start yeah. venturing inland. Okay, and you've got good connection from other cities? Air yeah, look, wonderful. Or? I mean, that's really what's, I think, come of age quite nicely of late. And, and you know, we haven't spoken about the, the walking model, which is, which is really booming for us now. But what we've done is we've partnered in with... Uh, uh, packaged up is a better word. Um, as far as folks coming in from interstate, if you can get yourself to Adelaide, uh, we've got wonderful connections through Sharp Airlines that can get you to Port Augusta. Um, and from Port Augusta, in certain of our packages anyway, we'll, uh, we offer a pickup service there. So it's become a tremendous amount easier. But having said that, you know, there's, there's a big population of folks that just enjoy the drive, certainly from a domestic perspective. And, and why wouldn't you? You're taking mm. in Barosses and Clare Valleys and such like, and you, you just wend your way up here. And if you've got a couple of days up your sleeve, break the journey up a little bit, get to us spend a few days and, and, and on you go. So mm. it's certainly very accessible. Uh, for those that are time poor, there's the flying option. We've got uh, opportunities to be driven up. So various companies that do our chartered drives for us. Uh, and then, as I said, the, the, the flights too. So uh, the local airstrip here in Hawke is only 10 minutes from Arkaba. Um, so, yeah, access, which perhaps was a bit of a limitation or restriction in the past, seems to be falling away. It's, now, it's very accessible. Fantastic. Now, just in the minute we've got left, I know that you've got a special deal on at the moment, not that we're trying to be, a, 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 you know, sell it with a set of steak knives, but because of the way the weather is up there and the water that's around and the wildlife and the, uh, and the wildflowers, uh, people who act quickly can actually get a bonus, which is a, a flight over Lake Eyre. How's that work? That's, yeah, 100% correct, Graeme. I'd, I'd encourage everyone to jump onto our website and just uh, have a look at that if you navigate yourself through the, uh, the Wildbush Luxury page or indeed direct to, to the archivestation.com page. Um, it's, it's basically date-specific, and do jump on and have a look what those dates are. Um, but if you book a minimum three-night stay with us, we're effectively throwing in a, a full sort of air safari over Lake Air to just to make the, the most and take advantage of what the water levels are looking like. They, they certainly are drying off. There's not as much water as there was, you know, this time of year it's, uh, it's going to happen. Uh, but, yeah, we're trying to just make the most of that beautiful situation that exists up there. So book three nights or more and we'll throw in an air safari um, all the way up and include that flight over Lake Air. Okay, and there are dates specific for that, and people there can go... There are dates specific to that, and uh, as I say, jump online, you'll see various packages and ideas there. Have a little visit of the website, and, and you'll be able to see when those, uh, 
when those opportunities exist and, and jump in quick. We actually we took two bookies this morning, so it's proving oh, to be quite popular okay. just online. <laughs> Hurry up then, folks. Well, Brendan <laughs> uh, Bevan, great to speak with you, and good luck up there in uh, at, at Arkaba and the Flinders Ranges. It's, it's a place I haven't been to yet, but it is on the list, so one day. And uh, like I said, we're going to go to Ireland to find out about <laughs> Florida. Florida, right? I mean, is that natural? Of course it's natural. Especially when you have David Gordon on the line. Hello, David. Hello there. How are you? Well, excellent. Good to hear your voice. It's been a while. And how is the world today in Ireland? It's a balmy 68 Fahrenheit. The sun is shining. <laughs> this is summer over here. Wow. 60 is balmy? But 60 in Ireland is balmy, yeah. And, and yeah, then they go out and drink some Guinness and they get bombed. <laughs> anyway, that's another story. Right? Uh, well, it's good to hear your voice. And, uh, you know, uh, you caught my uh, imagination when I heard you were going to talk about Florida because uh, sometimes non-Americans look at America in a different way than we do. So uh, I'm dying to hear what your take is on uh, Florida roadside attractions. Well, yeah, I was there a couple of weeks ago. We were over for a family trip. It was uh, my, my better half's first time with her her kids over in uh, Florida to see the parks over there, of course, at Orlando. But I wanted to see something a little bit different to sort of go off the, the normal tourist trail. So uh, America is famous, of course, as you know, for the roadside attractions and historic attractions. So I found a couple uh, not too far away from Orlando itself. One was the first one I saw was the Citrus Tower, which is uh, in a place called Claremont, about 30 miles the uh, west of Orlando City, um, and it, it was built 60 years ago this year, actually, it was celebrating its birthday in July when I was there. Uh, it was built to look at all the citrus groves that the Florida was famous for uh, 50, 60 years ago. Right, because, uh, so you're because, able to Flo- go- because Florida is so flat, you would never be able to look at them unless you were up uh, at a high elevation on something, right, like that tower. Yes, that's right. It, it, it's uh, 22 stories tall, and you're able to go up in a lift. It's the original lift, the six-year-old lift, as well, the elevator. Uh, and you're able to go up to the top, and uh, you're able to see across the, across for miles and miles, actually to the coast. You can actually see as far away as the coast on a good day. Uh, but you could definitely see across to Orlando, which is 30 miles away. And across that, back in the day, you'd have seen that covered in, uh, in citrus groves. Wow. Unfortunately, of course, the citrus groves aren't there anymore. Uh, so you're now overlooking a car park and a, a supermarket and a lot of uh, houses, basically. But... Uh, as a roadside attraction, it's still there, and I think that the the fact that it is there is testament to what people thought, you know, 50, 60 years ago, that it was going to be an attraction, and it was. It was one of the top attractions in Florida. Isn't that funny? Could you see? Uh, can you funny. see uh, Disney World from up there? Yes, you can. You can see Epcot, and you can see a couple of the, the larger uh, roller coasters uh, from up there. I mean, Disney is a good 20, 20 kilometers, 20 miles away as well, but you can still see them way in the distance. Uh, but right next door, I actually got a uh, good uh, bang for my buck, I think, that day, because there's a, a second attraction right next door, which is the Hall of Presidents, the President's Hall of Fame, which is a, a fascinating place in itself because it's, it's full of Americana. And from my point of view, of, of somebody who's not, not from the USA, it was great to see how uh, involved people are with politics, uh, oddly enough. Um, and there was artifacts from different presidential campaigns, from different presidents. There was uh, a, a scale model of the White House itself. So you could actually walk around. Huh. It was slightly odd because there was a there was an animatronic Barack Obama there, which sort of followed you, your its eyes followed you around the room, which is slightly unnerving. But it wasn't really him; it was uh, <laughs> it was just a robot. But 
it's a, it's a fascinating place, and it's just one of those places. So it was just like Barack. <laughs> I mean, is that Sorry. right? Am I right? I, I, um, I, I, is there room for uh, more presidents in that Hall of Presidents? Do we see a future Trump or Hillary in there? Well, there's actually an exhibition on that on that very campaign, so that I think they've, they've got the space ready. They just don't know who's going to go there. They don't know whether it's going to be a tie or a dress. Let me ask you, <laughs> um, uh, when you, you know, it is interesting about politics, and obviously right now America is all political all the time. Yeah. Um, I notice that there's a difference between Europeans and Americans, because in Europe, everyone has open discussions about politics, whether you have, whatever, whether you're conservative or liberal or in between, you talk about it, right? And everyone has friendly uh, debates, for the most part, right? Yes, well, in America, well, most, mostly. It, in America, it's almost prohibited now to speak about politics because you're going to insult somebody. You know, I, I just drove down to Del Mar last weekend, uh-huh. and I, I looked at every car that, that was on the freeway all the way down. It took me five and a half hours to get there. I saw one bumper sticker, and it was for Bernie. One. Uh-huh. There, there are no Clinton. There are no Trump. I, I'm, I guess people are just not as enthusiastic as they were. Or maybe they're a little too frightened because there's such violence right now going on in yeah. America. Anyway, I know that has we nothing digress. to do with, with, with Florida, but it's, a, it's an interesting aspect uh, when you talk about politics. Going back to the Orange Tower just for a second, David. Uh, yeah. if, if you're up there, what would you think about being up there when one of the great Florida hurricanes come through? Would you want to be there? Well, apparently it's, it's built to withstand up to 190 kilometer per hour wind. So I, I probably, I mean, it's been there 60 years, so I, I guess it's pretty safe. Yeah. Well, uh, you got a front row seat. <laughs> You'd be yeah, in the well, eye of the storm. Really. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I, I was in a couple of eyes of the storms when I was driving across from Tampa Bay back to Orlando one night. It wasn't pretty, especially, I mean, I, I don't, I, we don't see storms like that over here in Ireland. And my goodness, it was scary. It wasn't, wasn't nice at all. But uh, I was quite glad to get back to our, our house that night and uh, be able to watch it through the window. Wow. wow! But uh, you know, they, they do they do get some storms. But I mean, this year in Orlando, I don't know what's been the same in California. You know, you've been having uh, problems with the heat over there too. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Orlando, they weren't getting their afternoon storm, but they always get an afternoon storm around three or four in the afternoon, and it wasn't coming. So the heat was a building and building. And for uh, for an Irish person like me, it was very very hot. It was too hot. We were just sort of we couldn't do anything but just sit down, we couldn't <laughs> sit beside the pool, and that was really it. Right. But you were out looking at roadside attractions. Did you find anything else? Yeah, well, I, I find one of the places I did always want to visit was this, the town of Celebration, which was uh, built by the Disney Corporation about 20, 25 years ago, uh, sort of along the lines of Walt Disney's vision for a community. Uh, so it, 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 it's a fascinating place. It's not particularly a roadside attraction, but it's an actual living community, huh. uh, which was created. Uh, it's an urban, an urban community which was created. But people do live there. They have to live by certain ways. They have to have white picket fences. They have to have a certain type of building. They have to have the grass. On their really? lawn at a certain height, uh, so it, it, it's quite quite limited in what you can do. But when I was there, it was a strange. It, it, if you remember the Truman Show, the, the Jim Carrey, movie, yeah, sure, yeah, it was. It, it, it reminded me totally of walking through that. What, was it uh, just a little too san- was it a little too sanitized? Sanitized is the very that's the very word. I've, I've been sorry. I must write that down. That's a good word. Sanitized. It was. It was just, <laughs> you know, it, I, it, I, it, I saw that word all the time on toilet seats. This toilet seat's been <laughs> sanitized for your protection. The show is going into. <laughs> oh, we're the going toilet. to the, we're going to the dumps, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, there we go. Um, but no, I, I, I'm fascinated because uh, you know the, the, there is this planned community business that started many many uh, years ago in America and. Mm-hmm. Uh, they all have different themes, and there's ones that are obviously for older folks, uh, retirement ones, mm-hmm. uh, ones Sounds that are adults only. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this one sounds like it's for those who are uh, kind of uh, white bread and 
and uh, white bread, right? I mean, wonder yeah, bread. It's, crowd. It's, it's, yeah, I mean, it's basically for families. There's families there, there's couples there, there's business people, there's, uh, you know, so it, it, it is sort of a, a wide range of schools and colleges there, you know, so there's quite a, a range of people live there. But the day I was there, it was a Thursday afternoon at lunchtime, and there was me and four other people on the, on the, on the main street. So I don't know where everybody was. That's, that's what made it feel quite odd. Wow. Hmm. Almost, it, could be, it could be a good horror movie, actually. <laughs> <laughs> But it sounds like it's like Yeah, did you did you happen to see any alligators while you were on the road? Uh, no, I did. I just saw a couple of alligators. We went out on one of the uh, the rides out under the Everglades. We saw some alligators there, but uh, I didn't see any. I didn't. I didn't come across any while I was driving around. But I did see a couple. See a couple ne- uh, next, out in the Everglades. The next trip, there. you got to come out and, and visit the alligator farms. That's always interesting too. Um, David, uh, that's great. Thank you very much for the information. Now, people should definitely go to your website, fourmonkeysmedia.com. They should also like yeah, you on Facebook, right? They can. It's all been updated actually, since we last talked. It's all flashy and lots of pictures and lots I of stories like, in there. So. We're looking at it right now. You, you've done an amazing Travel job. Travel bites with David. Gordon. Yeah, well done, David. It looks really, really good. And uh, we appreciate you joining us today from Ireland. And uh, No problem at all. We wish you the very again. best. And I uh, hope to see you soon. Andrew, it's great to have you on the program, and it's also great to hear about the new visas for Papua New Guinea. Um, you know, it's taken a while for them to come, hasn't it, because there have been a few problems in the past. Thanks for, thanks for having us. Uh, yeah, we're really excited about the, uh, the new free tourist visa on arrival for Australian passport holders. Uh, It's really going to simplify the process for Australian travellers and we think it will entice more Australians to visit. Uh, It just makes that whole process of travelling to Papua New Guinea so much easier now. Yes, well now what, you you arrive there and you get one on uh, arrival? Yes, exactly. So you turn up at the airport and you receive a free tourist visa on arrival and that lasts for 30 days. Which is sort of nice and handy and it's probably enough time to see as much as you want if you're a tourist. Certainly, certainly. And there's so much to see and do in Papua New Guinea. It it really is one of the most beautiful countries on earth. Mm. Why has it taken so long for Australians to be so aware of what they can do in Papua New Guinea? I mean, I know we know about the Kokoda Trail, but we don't know about very much else. I think uh, Papua New Guinea is really well known amongst niche markets. It's, It's long been known as having the best surfing, the best diving, the best fishing and trekking in the world. It's it's got such fantastic landscapes for, for all of those activities. Uh, but what we're finding now is, particularly with the advent of cruising being so popular, uh, with more flight competition as well, is it's really opening up Papua New Guinea uh, to people who hadn't previously thought of travelling there. And um, really, you know, it's our, it's our closest neighbour, and, and we'd love for more Australians to go up there. Yes, it certainly would. I mean, one day it could become like Bali, the paradise you go to when you want to have a holiday in the sun. We never see Papua New Guinea as being like Bali. It's, it's not a mass tourism destination. It, it really offers incredible adventure travel options. And for people who particularly are interested in, in diving and fishing and surfing and trekking, um, also in culture, it's uh, the people up there, they're so humble, but their culture is really, really colourful. They've got over 830 spoken languages and um, all spread out across over 600 islands. So... Um, we don't see it as being a mass tourism destination, but really, um, if you want to go somewhere that's untouched and is, um, 
has some of the best adventure travel options and then we think it's a fantastic destination. So where would you go to first if you're a first-time traveller to PNG? Certainly. I think uh, first-time travellers, it, it really depends on what they're interested in. We get a lot of people that obviously go up for the Kokoda track every year um, and they trek along the trail there. It's, it's uh, Papua New Guinea's most famous attraction. Um, but also what we're finding is a lot more people are, are interested in exploring the islands. Um, that, that coastal adventures uh, product that Papua New Guinea is, is really well known for, um, everywhere from Rabaul, where you can go visit an active volcano and you can even climb the active volcano, uh, through to Tufi, where you can paddle through the fjords. Um, down in Milne Bay in, in Alatau, they've got um, a fantastic festival down there and it's got some of the best uh, diving and, and fishing as well. So uh, really those islands regions are becoming more and more popular. Mm. And if you are going there, at what time of year is best to go? Papua New Guinea really is, is an all-year-round destination. It's um, obviously tropical, so it's, it's warm all year round. Um, and we find that, uh, that people visit uh, any month during the year. The trekking season um, is during the cooler months. Um, but if you're interested in, in going to the islands, if you're interested in, um, in some of the other activities, it, it really is a year-round destination. Mm. How are you going to encourage more Australians to go? I mean, you we, must... we do quite a lot of work, um, particularly with uh, tour operators based here in Australia. Um, and we also do a lot of work with the media um, and with marketing. But we think with this new visa on arrival uh, for Australian tourists and, and also with the advent of cruising, that more and more people are going to want to find out more about Papua New Guinea and they're going to want to travel there. Yes, certainly the cruise ships seem to be going there in a big way. Has that been a sort of, you know, a good introduction for people to go to, you know, have a land-based holiday? Definitely. I mean, what we find is there's a lot of regions within Papua New Guinea that tourism's still in its infancy. And, and uh, by having cruise ships come into these regions um, and these destinations, it really opens up those destinations that previously people would have found too hard to get to. Uh, so a lot of these cruise ships are, are going into um, parts of Papua New Guinea where you can experience this incredible culture and see their way of life. Uh, but still you've got the creature comforts of um, staying on board these um, these luxury ships. And you say the people are very welcoming. What sort of things do they do or do they like to do with tourists? Yeah, definitely. There's a lot of interaction uh, with tourists. You can really get involved and, and understand and learn their ways of life. Um, everything from you can stay in villages and you can stay in homestays, uh, right through to some of their big colourful festivals. And, and if someone's really interested in finding out more about the culture, we say the festivals are one of the best times to go. You've got um, such interesting festivals like the Rabaul Mask Festival and uh, the Mount Hagen Show up in the Highlands. Um, there's canoe festivals and crocodile festivals. So it's really a great way to see that culture come to life. And they are held at different times of the year, are they? Or are they all held around the same time, the festivals? They're all held at different times of the year. So we've got an, a, an event calendar and a program um, which you can download from our website. Um, and people who are interested in going, particularly for the festivals, they can find out more information there. A lot of the tour operators from Australia also offer tours during those festival periods as well. Mm. How difficult is it get to get there from Australia? I mean, there are there direct flights from the eastern states? Yeah, definitely. It's really easy. Uh, from Sydney, Brisbane and Cairns, you can fly uh, multiple times a week. 
Uh, from Brisbane, actually, there's a twice-daily service with Air New Guinea and Virgin Australia. So for your Melbourne listeners, uh, they can easily connect via Sydney, Brisbane or Cairns, and that's a direct service up into Papua New Guinea. Once you land in Papua New Guinea, you can then fly with Air New Guinea or PNG Air to multiple destinations throughout Papua New Guinea. So it's really easy to get to uh, all of those key attractions and key destinations. So you'd fly, what, directly into Port Moresby? That's correct, yes. And from there, is there a sort of a, a, a time span where you can get in the same day to the other places? Because there's not much in Port Moresby, is there? You can definitely connect really easily. There's um, a lot of flights. Uh, their domestic network is, is fantastic, um, and the frequency of flights to a lot of those key destinations is really easy. They're all timed well with the international connections. Um, people who are interested in, in visiting Port Moresby, there's some new developments and new attractions coming up uh, in Port Moresby as well, a lot of hotel development going on there. Um, and what we find is people particularly who do the Kokoda Trail will stay on uh, an extra day or two in, in Port Moresby on their way home. Mm. Andrew, have you been to Port Moresby yourself and have you been to the rest of uh, any other places in PNG? I have certainly. I've been many times throughout Papua New Guinea. It's, it's fantastic. Where is your favourite spot? Oh, I couldn't possibly say that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, some of my favourite uh, parts of, of the country are just exploring the, um, the pristine beaches and, and the coastal areas. They're just fantastic. But, but also really interrupting, interacting and um, understanding the culture. The people there, they're just so friendly and, and warm and humble. And uh, they really want to share with us their, their culture. And um, if, if you interact with them, then you'll learn so much. Mm. Is language a problem? No, everyone speaks English. They, they obviously have their, um, their local tongue. Like I said, they, they speak over 830 different languages there, but English is, is commonly spoken. Yeah, so you wouldn't have any problems. I mean, is it a good idea? Could you drive around or is that a, a problem? We, we don't recommend driving around. Uh, the, the highway network there isn't um, what you would expect to find, say, in Australia, but it is still definitely very easy to get around, particularly with uh, the flight options and connections. Yeah, and it seems as if the because it is so much adventure activities that you're really appealing to the younger market. We we actually get a lot of um, uh, older travellers coming up as well. Obviously, there's a lot of World War II history in Papua New Guinea. Um, a lot of campaigns were fought there by Australian diggers. So there's so much history, um, and we find a lot of people that go back and retrace the steps of their grandparents or great-grandparents. Um, we get travellers of all different ages. Yes, so I suppose if you go to a travel agent, you can say, well, you know, what would suit me depending on, you know, my ability um, to travel around? Yeah, definitely. And, and like I said, it's very easy to get around uh, for people who, um, who aren't so sure um, about traveling around on their own, then, then obviously cruising is a great option. But it really is um, so easy to get around Papua New Guinea and to explore all the different regions. Probably one of the reasons that cruising has taken off is because um, of safety concerns. Listen, you get, you get safety concerns in, in any country and, and, and really wherever you travel in the world, uh, you've really got to be aware of your surroundings. We always recommend that people do their research, um, that obviously that they book through a reputable operator. Um, there's loads of information on, on how to travel to Papua New Guinea and around on our website, which is visitpng.com.au. And, um, yeah, I've, I've been there multiple times and I've had a fantastic time each time I've been. It sounds very appealing. Thank you, Andrew, for your time. It's been terrific. Thank you very much.
for having me. And that's all we have for you on this month's edition of Travel Radio Australia. I'd like to thank all the contributors and their guests, uh, Jeff Harrison with Will Smith. Uh, Travel Rider uh, Radio's Graham Kemlo with Brandon Bevan from the US and ATW Around the World Radio and Travel Bites Radio, David Gordon talking about roadside attractions of Florida and to complete the show we had another segment from Travel Riders Radio with Veronica Matheson chatting with Andrew Caballero. That's all. Until we meet again next month with a brand new edition of Travel Radio Australia, I'm Rens Weirs wishing you all happy trails. <laughs> 